Today's episode is sponsored by Sunny Bear Homestead. A new year means a new commitment to a focus on health, wellness, and self-care. And no one does self-care better than Sunny Bear Homestead, a queer-owned business nestled near the foot of the Blue Ridge Mountains in Virginia. Sunny Bear offers carefully crafted tea blends made from award-winning recipes, sensuous soaps, scrubs, and they work with local artists to bring you local honey, maple syrup, and decadent smoked coffee that will take your brunch game to the next level. Now, I don't advertise for anything that I don't personally love, and I have to tell you that their oatmeal, milk, and honey signature soaps and scents are my absolute favorite. They're crisp and clean and simple, and their massive menu of teas are perfect for every occasion year-round. Now, Sunny Bear Homestead ships all over the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, and it's more important now than ever to support small local business. You can find their wide assortment of incredible offerings at Homemade Sunny Bear. Now, that's S-U-N-N-Y-B-E-A-R.com. So, HomemadeSunnyBear.com. And just for our Dreamer Productions listeners, you can use code DREAMER, that's D-R-E-A-M-E-R, all uppercase letters, at checkout for 15% off your order. Again, use code DREAMER at checkout for 15% off your order. Thanks again to Sunny Bear Homestead for sponsoring this episode. Now on with the show. Welcome back, serial killers, to the world of tomorrow. Today, we're loading up the flying car, and we're looking into the case file behind the 1990 movie, The Jetsons Movie, based on the 1960s Hanna-Barbera cartoon by the same name. Uh, it, the story tells the, the story of George Jetson and his family that live in an Epcot-level future. The Jetsons were originally slated for a 1985 live-action film, but it got backburnered, and the rights were picked up a Universal from Hanna-Barbera. The film was directed by William Hanna and Joseph Barbera from a screenplay by Dennis Marks. The first major issue in production was the advanced age of the cast, who were brought in from the original cast. Like, that's wild to me. But Dawes Butler, the voice of Elroy, fell ill with a stroke and pneumonia in early 1988 before he could record any of his lines for the film and ultimately died on May 18th of that year. Although Butler had been training Joe Bellacroix and Greg Burson to succeed him, voice coordinator Chris Zimmerman brought in her then-husband Patrick, uh, who was a relatively unknown to fill the role of Elroy. George O'Hanlon, who had already been in ill health throughout the 1980s uh, run of the series, died of a stroke February 11th, 1989, after he finished recording. Voice director Andrea Romano later recalled that he could record only an hour at a time due to ill health and had his final stroke while at the studio. Mel Blanc also died during production of the film on July 10th of 1989. It's just kind of bad, uh, you know, bad luck, but also when you have a cast of that age, it's kind of going to happen. Voice actor Jeff Bergman would later step in to fill in for both O'Hanlon and Blank as George Justin and Mr. Spacely to complete their dialogue in additional scenes of the film, which, honestly... I think you can tell. Now, Janet Waldo, the original voice of Judy Jetson, recorded the role for the film, but her voice was later replaced by singer Tiffany, though Waldo still provided the voice of a robot secretary and some of Judy's lines by Waldo still remain in the film, which is very evident. Now, studio executives hoped that Tiffany's involvement would result in stronger box office performances. Now, Romano was displeased with the casting change after she had already recorded everything, though I think she got paid for it, so like, 
why do you care ultimately? I mean, it is her character that she'd been doing. Um, she tried to have her name removed from the finished film. Tiffany said her singing voice was what initially drew the attention of Barbara. Tiffany sang three songs used in the film. I will always, uh, I always thought I'd see you again, you and me and home. Now, the story follows George Jetson, who is tasked with running a new Spacely Sprockets facilities by his boss, Cosmo Spacely. However, after he brings his family along to support him, they uncover the tragic truth of the facility's location. It was very poignant in the 1990s, and oddly enough, it still is today, when it's discovered that the new facility was destroying the habitats of the home world of this adorable fuzzy aliens. Now, Jetsons the movie was originally slated for a December 1989 release, but it was delayed to avoid competition with Disney's Little Mermaid and United Artists' All Dogs Go to Heaven, which were both released on the same day. Now, Universal's own Back to the Future 2 and Warner Brothers' National Lampoon's Christmas all released that same day, so I think it was good. Uh, Universal released The Wizard in its place. For marketing along with fast food tie-ins and Kool-Aid tie-ins, a tie-in simulator ride named The Fantastic World of Hanna-Barbera opened at Universal Studios Florida one month before the film's release. In the attraction, William Hanna and Joseph Barbera state the Jetsons will star in their next big project, presuming it's the film, which angers Dick Dastardly and Muttley and leads them to kidnap Elroy. Yogi Bear and Boo Boo Bear must save Elroy by riding through the worlds of The Simpsons, Scooby-Doo, and The Jetsons. Now, in the box office, it opened in fourth place and brought in around $20 million, but after... An $80 million budget and uh, $12 million that Universal spent on marketing, it was considered a box office failure. Now, on review aggregation website Rotten Tomatoes, the film has an approval rating of 27% based on only 14 reviews, with an average review rating of 4.4 out of 10. Now, Charles Solomon of the New York Times criticized the filmmakers for not deciding whether they're making a With It musical with teenagers or recreating the humor of the 1960s TV show. He also criticized the use of CGI, claiming it makes 2D characters look as though they stumbled from another film. Now, Siskel and Ebert, famed enemy of the pods, gave the film two thumbs down, citing that both the story and animation as having no imagination whatsoever. Roger Ebert later named it at number two of the 10 worst films of 1990. But is it really that bad? And what story were they trying to tell with a 1960s family in a 1990 world? Well, friends, we'll find out right after this. Are you tired of watching your beloved characters being tortured by careless authors? Are you sick of feeling like they could have swapped out all of the painful action and the plot would remain untouched? Subscribe to Books That Burn, the fortnightly book review podcast focusing on fictional depictions of trauma. We assume that the characters' reactions are reasonable and focus on how badly or well they were served by their authors. Join us for our minor character spotlights, main character discussions, and favorite non-traumatic things in the dark books we love. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so friends, normally I'm always here to give us the utmost positivity and light. And because these are all movies that I have a really fond memory of from my childhood. Like, really, really, really fond memory of. And I remember seeing this in theaters, I think. Um, definitely had it on VHS because we owned a VHS player at this point. And 
it's always just sat with me. It's just a movie of like, oh, Queen, that movie is so much fun. I mean, it's the Jetsons. Come on. Oh, um, I mean, it is very Epcot in the way. I think it's why I love Epcot and so many things about those aspects of Walt Disney World. Um, but I also realized as I was watching this that it has probably been since 2004 or five since I watched this. And I specifically remember that it was being broadcast on Cartoon Network. It was a big deal. You know, that was when Boomerang was really just showing those classic 1960s Hanna-Barbera films uh, in TV shows. And like Johnny Quest, I love that stuff. I love The Simpsons. I love Scoot. Oh my God, not The Simpsons, The Flintstones. Oh my God, friends, we can see where I am. But Simpsons came out, you know, 89, 90. Um, but I loved all those Hanna-Barbera films uh, and TV shows. They are, were part of my upbringing. It's like a lot of Looney Tunes and things. I just love it so much because it is truly nostalgia for me. And I'm realizing as I got in watching this movie that maybe this movie's, my love for this movie is pure nostalgia. I mean, give me fun futurism. Give me a sassy New York robot and cute little fuzzy, almost Ewoks almost mogwai like you know i just love anything that's like really cute and fun and small but i'm gonna preface this with i think everybody should revisit this film now it is pretty hard to find it on streaming it kind of pops in and out of streaming often um a lot of times it's things like Tubi, roku um hbo max uh sometimes has it now because of the uh warner cartoon network boomerang all of that nonsense but because warmer's killing everything who knows even by the time this episode comes out i'm only recording it like um month ahead of time so yeah this is a really interesting concept because this is those moments where because it was the original directors the original producers they were like we've got to get the original cast back as many of them as can and like several of them died <laughs> either before production or during production you can hear the age on like mrs jetson's voice and they even you know the voice actress who was the original judy jetson she recorded everything and then they replaced her with tiffany no no i think we're gonna talk about that because oddly while I rarely agree with the reviewers, I'm actually going to really agree with Siskel and Ebert when we get into it. Now, these episodes are called The Case 4. So this is The Case 4, the Jetsons movie. I love this movie ultimately because it was made because it was this kind of revisiting, which is the ultimate like Reagan era thing. Like this is just post Bush being elected. And this is like the most thing they could do is be like, yeah, the Jetsons are still hip, blah, blah, blah. And just a few years later, we would have the Flintstones live action movies, but they are so different from the source material in many ways. But also I need to remind everybody, Hanna-Barbera cartoons were never created for adults. Looney Tunes or uh, for kids. Looney Tunes weren't created for kids. The Muppets were not created for kids. A lot of this entertainment that we know now is animating animated it was never meant for children and so there is something really interesting and again you can go back and watch like Flintstones and Jetsons you have to take it with a grain of salt from its time not saying any of it's correct but it is very much heavily coded so like what happens when like there is a lot changed between the late 60s and late 80s yes it was only 20 years but like the world literally evolved and changed we had the Vietnam War which changed so much for so many people we also had like feminism women's lib Stonewall the gay rights movement we were near the end of the first wave of the really bad parts of the AIDS crisis, even though that's never has really ended. So the world literally has changed so much for the Jetsons. And I think in many ways they couldn't keep up because everybody involved was still part of that old guard in so many ways. So like 
I love that it opens with a great new orchestration. Uh, the Jetsons theme song is a bop. And you get that classic thing of like George is in the car that condenses down into a, a briefcase and into a tiny little box in this version. Um, and, you know, drops all right up at school, gives Judy money, gives Jane money. Um, all these things that are very kind of archaically things that like they commented on Mad Men, you know, 10 years ago. Um I feel like I just made the note that like, I feel like the movie isn't going to age well from the top because like, I love the Jetsons, but again, we've got to talk about these things of like, they're clearly, they're not anti-women, but like society was completely anti-women and like anti all of these things. Cause I even find myself going, does Judy go to school? Like, does she does she go to school because she's like hanging out with her mom and the robot neighbor and they're constantly at the mall and she's falling in love with boys like it's very cute i mean i will say something really cool about this that i was reminded early on this movie was featuring cgi computer animation in such large chunks that like we have movies now that are much larger budgets that look way worse than the 3D rendering in this. Now, I will I will say it's very, like, DOS. Like, it's very computer screensaver. But, like, they were rolling forward. This is also Universal Studios. They were really trying to get a leg up over Disney. Like, this was one of these things. They had no idea what was coming with the Disney Renaissance, but they knew... Michael Eisner, they knew what he'd moved from Paramount to do. And it is interesting because, like, Paramount owned... Uh, it's, it's a weird right thing at the time. But when I grew up, I worked at a Paramount theme park. And we had all the Hanna-Barbera stuff was our kids' own stuff. So the fact that Universal opened their park with a ride based on Hanna-Barbera. People loved Hanna-Barbera. Hanna-Barbera characters were featured in the Universal parks for eons literally eons i mean you can still see scooby-doo in mystery inc um but I, I will agree in many ways that like at this point in time when you're combining computer imaging and 2d animation like let's immediately talk about rescuers done under which came out a year later maybe two years later but like which was completely rendered in a computer it's still hand-drawn but like even the differences in digital animation between that and this it is so mind-boggling and it doesn't age well especially because a lot of the 2d animation while really awesome it's very flat and that Hanna-Barbera style is always very very flat that is the whole kind of point of it and the two together don't always render well, and just because this was a feature budget, you can tell they didn't necessarily feature budget the animation. Um, I remember it being incredible for the time and being mind blown, but you know, it's a thing. Now, one downfall of this movie was putting Tiffany for me as the voice of Judy Jetson. She's trying her level best, but ooh, is it rough? Like, also, let's just say she's not a voice actress. They also had to match the lip flaps to what had already kind of been done and been recorded. Plus, you know, they don't really care about lip flaps at this point. You know, it's she's not an actress. And Judy doesn't really go through much. She has to leave her boyfriend finds the cuter Apollo Blue who's a two-toned alien boy who is very 60s. He looks like one of the Osmonds. He looks like one of the monkeys. I think that's the biggest issue for me is what happens when the 1980s are doing the 1960s, but it's not in a clever, like, retrospective. It's that the the relics of the 1960s are still trying to produce for the 60s and the 1980s. Um, now, 
What I do think is very progressive is the story we get. So it's about, you know, Spacely Sprockets. They're making their one millionth sprocket. It is huge. It is a manifest destiny. It's a thing. Now, the thing I'm thinking about that I've never thought about before is, you know, they raise above the cloud line every morning in their, their magic homes. We realize that Earth is done. Like, that's what I'm realizing. I'm having a hard time watching this, I think, because you realize Earth is done and it's a smog layer. It's not a cloud layer. It's a smog layer. There's some We've so ruined the rest of the planet that now that we just went fine, we'll move upwards. And they did kind of the same thing when they, like do this space station attached to this asteroid because they just, it's the cheapest ore. Like they can just take it. Um, and you find out that there is this cute little race of, of, of creatures. They're so cute. Um, they look kind of like Mogwai, kind of like Ewoks, but just enough to not, you know, copyright. Um, and they have these cute little headbands. And so, you know, they glimmer. You see them sparkle around. You never really see them till the last, like, third of the movie when we're, we're really, like, the danger is there. Um, so it's it's really interesting that they were trying to tell this conservation story from the perspective of a family so wedged in the 1960s where we just kind of ruined everything that it's so... <laughs> interesting that we're still having the conversations about conservation and just kind of taking things because it's cheapest and making things the cheapest way possible and abusive b bosses and corporate structures and overworking and like the literal ideas that even the robots who are sentient and have feelings and things in this are overworked and are about to quit their job because they're overworked and are abused. Again, this is 8990. Why are we still having these conversations now? Like, if this is not a pro-unionized things, pro, you know, it's it's also very pro-mall and, and capitalism because that is where we were post-trickle-down Reaganomics and with the Bush era. I'm just really confused and conflicted because ultimately George Jetson stands up and he's like, we can't destroy this fan these these creatures homes but only after his wife literally threatens to leave him and emasculate him in front of everybody like george is so clearly a product of the 60s and just a product of hannah and barbara themselves i mean and they lived on for another like 20 years after this movie came out that it's difficult to take a lot of it seriously also because like you can just tell that there's a disjointed nature to how a lot of the lines are delivered and things. Cause like that poor voice actor could record one hour a day. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's just so funny to me that they were already having this conversation in 1989 and 1990. And like, how bleak is it that one, this movie did so poorly because watching it, do I think it deserves better than a 27? Sure. But do I think it's better than like a 50? No. Uh, it is fun. It is great nostalgia. I definitely say if you were an imbiber, pop it in, take it on, do your thing. Um, you know, outsourcing. Honestly, this movie was really topical. And I think they were using it to pull in the older generation to start the conversation while still trying to appeal to their mid-century um, sensibilities, but also appeal to, like, the teen youth demographic. And I'm not sure that they were probably able to cam 
capitalize on either because I'm not sure that the older crowd was going to go see that movie. And really when you saw where rest of films and stuff were like, you're going to go see the other movies. Like you're going to go see back to the future. You're not going to go see the Jetsons movie. Now, something I will say, the soundtrack is popping. Like the music direction, the music editors, they are so clearly in 8990 though. We got to talk about something, and this was also in the critics' review, which is about 30 minutes in, this movie becomes a musical. Now, of course, when you got Tiffany, you're going to have her sing songs for the movie, and she does three songs. I would argue that it's four, I believe, or they have somebody that sings very much like her. But I want to ask a controversial yet brave question. Is Tiffany a good singer? Because there's some stuff that she wails and she sounds just like the ladies from Heart and it's awesome. But like, I don't think this, the songs on this were written particularly with her range in mind. I think they wanted like a Taylor Dane, a Debbie Gibson, a Tiffany, one of the ladies of this time that were going to be, you were able going to be able to get because they probably want to come off a Maltor to do it. But it's, I don't know if she was necessarily a good enough singer. Now, the soundtrack, like the score, a bop, the extra pop music, a bop, because they were embracing this like electro 80s sound with these still like 60s rock people looking people. That was also the thing. I think because they didn't update the look of any of the characters, even the look of like society to what, like, you know, maybe that would have been just absolute blasphemy to be like we're redesigning the simpsons or why do i keep doing that we're redesigning the jetsons i mean the simpsons are a commentary on the jetsons and the flintstones but what purpose did you still serve i mean jetsons was still being produced by hannah barbera into the early 80s so like the show was on for a long time but why a movie then? Why now? Like, I think they would have been better off doing a live action style movie. I know it would have been more difficult, but I think lean into the cheese at that point. Lean into the Doctor Who of it all. Like, truly, truly, truly. Um, I did have a little note of who doesn't want to run into a hot two-toned alien elf boy at the mall. I mean, I know I do. There is such an interesting world building question that nobody asks what do people do i know jane does the 60s wife thing of the volunteer stuff a lot but what does poor judy do other than like her makeup and pine over boys and listen to music even at 89 you couldn't just sit around doing that all day i mean it's the mall i guess they were also trying in to, to do the very self 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 going back to dressing the pussycats y'all know i love a non-traditional musical but why is this not a musical, but we have full musical numbers? Like, we have a full musical montage between Apollo Blue and Judy. Like, it is a full music, like, it is a full Xanadu moment in the middle of this movie. And now, honestly, I actually think that is one of the most successful moments of the movie. I think it drew the movie out a little bit longer. It's not terribly long. I think it's an hour and 20, it's a high, yeah, hour 22. I mean, but that's 82 minutes. Like, this movie could clearly have been 75 minutes and it would have been fine. 90 is pushing it. Um, I think the biggest challenge, again, I'm going to go back to, is how do you embrace the 1960s when you're carbon copying it when you're sitting in a 1989? Like, and you're not 
I would have loved it if they had come to this new city, this new place, the the new settlement, and the Jetsons are really out of place because they're still on Earth, and the people that are of Earth are like still really dated. They haven't needed to continue to grow more than just filling the needs for what they're depleting. Now we're getting in another past category at this point. Hi, Case. I know you're listening. Um, but like I feel like again, this is just that thing that everybody was too involved and was too close. Um. Now, the music is great, but again, this needed to be a musical from the beginning, and honestly, it could have been a musical. I think that changes how you tell the story. I think the thing with musicals like that, though, is you can actually get much more serious. You can get much harder. You can tell more of a story, but I think they just didn't go far enough, and they didn't really understand and know what kind of story they were telling, what they were doing. Um, one of the standout moments for me is the exploration of that art style uh, that was meant to be that music video in the middle. I think if they'd embraced that and given us a brand new style of art, given us new people, all of these things that once we get to the asteroid community that would have made the Jetsons like fit so out of place, um, that it capitalized on George being so ridiculous. Now, I think, I know they keep talking about we're getting a Jetsons live action movie now, and I'm hoping that's kind of what they'll do. Now, I think the standout, I mean, clearly, you watch it because the Jetsons. The side characters are so good. They're so adorable. Um, they really made it diverse by saying we're going to have a fuzzy alien family. We're going to have a robot alien family. We're going to have a two-toned elf alien boy that Judy falls in love with. And it was their subtle way of being like, look how much the world has changed since the original. But again, they didn't go far enough. But it was also 1989. So we have one person of color. It's considered diverse, right? But I do commend what they were trying to do. And I think they were having a really thoughtful conversation on what is the way our actions are going to play out on what we're doing to the planet. I think it's a really important thing. But again, they're too close to the pockets of government and big money to actually do those things. So watching it now, 34 years later, it's so interesting to break apart that kind of detached nature of the boomer that is George because he's literally everything that we're having issues with now like he is the problem like the whole time he's like I want to do as little as possible he's the worst and then talking about how nobody's doing anything right and all these things and literally he only gets a promotion because he's useless and expendable and yet people like George Jetson are running our country they're doing all these things so it's 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 really hard to watch in many ways but again I guess we have to detach. So I guess, is there a case to be made for you watching it? I would say if you like the Jetsons, if you like classic Hanna-Barbera, if you like that classic animation, sure, go watch it. If you want to have a conversation of how we can start having political, socioeconomic conversations in animated film, in film like this, watch it. I think it's, it's a good case study of what not to do. Um, but... I think I'm going to leave you with my favorite quote, which is, Teddy, are you programmed to be scared? Uh, Teddy goes, no. And Elroy just goes, I am. So reflecting, I think, back on, it's it's really hard. Now, this was still a very important movie in my childhood. And I think this is a moment where we have to say nostalgia doesn't save everything. And sometimes we got to take off those nostalgia goggles. So let's take them off. Let's watch this movie really subjectively. I want you to enjoy it. 
because I think this is going to happen this year. A lot of these movies I haven't seen in 20 or 30 years, a lot of these TV shows, but they are so coded to me. But let's break that apart. So I think for me, it's the nostalgia of Hanna-Barbera. They were safe. They were familiar. They were family. And my parents loved them. My mom still loves them. And I think that's why I felt so close. And so this was my generation's version of that. They made something new, something hip and fun in the 1980s of the Jetsons. And so it was a way that we thought it was going to be great and progressive. But again, not everything ages well. I don't think this has aged particularly well. I'm glad it still exists, but I think there's also a reason why it's pretty hard to get your hands on at this point. I mean, I got the DVD off Amazon for eight bucks. So like, let's watch it. Let's figure it out. But this is a definite conversation where we can have of, is it good or are you just nostalgic for it? And I think I want us to keep coming back to that this year because I think moving forward now more than ever, especially my generation in the older Gen Zers, younger millennials, we're at this point where all we have is nostalgia for comfort, but it's not going to overpower when it's ethically something's wrong or when we can talk about something just being bad and it's okay. And like, I don't think this is particularly good, bad. Like I love bad. Like I love good, bad. We all know I love good, bad. I don't know if this is good, bad, but I definitely think it's still watchable. Um, it makes me question whether I actually would feel safe putting kids down in front of like Flintstones and Jetsons today. But you know, it is what it is at this point. So this one might be a case for you not rewatching Jetsons the movie. And if you haven't seen it, I think it's a good time to watch it with fresh eyes. Maybe this is, maybe I'm the only one that this is nostalgic for, but I'm really interested to hear what you all have to say. So sound off in our comments on social media, sound off on our discord. And until next time, I'll see you again for another deep dive into the files of Saturday morning confidential. Saturday morning confidential is brought to you by dreamer productions and is a proud member of the certain POV podcast network. You can find us on Facebook at Saturday Morning Confidential, on Instagram at SMC Pod, and on Twitter at The SMC Podcast. You can find all the shows that Certain POV has to offer at CertainPOV.com or also on Patreon at Dreamer Productions, where your donation of only $2 a month keeps constant programming coming in and supporting our new shows as we go throughout 2022. Now join us again next time for another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.